everybody, you're listening to The Rock Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are rope partners and we've been practicing together for about five and a half years. We live in Bangkok, where it's quite hot, besides being, <laughs> despite being Christmas right now. Uh, and we love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. The sponsor for today's episode is you, our dear listeners, because thanks to Patreon, you can contribute and help us keep this podcast alive. So if you like these podcasts... Please go to rawpodcast.com and think about supporting us. Um, and this is part one of our Christmas special. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And happy holiday season if you don't celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Um, so we've pulled together some fascinating bonus material from our guests across the year um, of their favorite scenes. So you can hear about what real people do in real play. A question that we often get from our listeners. Hmm. Today's episode includes, and the list is long, Mark, the author of the Japanese Rope Kama Sutra, Hong Kong Rope Switch and educator Subei, Canadian Rope Community Founder and Rope 360 creator E.B. McNaughty, Thai-American Rope Switch Violet Rain, and rigger photographer and studio owner Rigger Odis. That is quite the lineup, Maya. It is, and it's only part one. I'm excited to hear about their favorite rope experiences. So let's start with Mark. Um, I would say I have a partner, regular partner, who is kind of masochist, and uh, I'm not really a sadist. I'm, but okay, so my definition of a sadist is someone who enjoys painful uh, stuff, like mm-hmm. look at the person suffering, and I don't like that. I like the person having pleasure. Mm-hmm. But she's so masochist that she likes to be dominated and she get pleasure of it. She really gets wet just being dominated and so on. So then I can do that. I can enjoy that. And she asked me to make her a trash. So I was like, what, what do you mean by trash? She said, I want to be uh, put in a big plastic bag. Uh, I want to be uh, thrown away like a trash. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. So I was like, okay, well, what should I do with rope like that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a challenge for me, but I was interested in it. So there was role play and so on. I, I tried to make something I never did. So I dressed up like a fetish kind of dark leather or whatever. I, uh, we played, I did, okay, you're trash. I did a lot of play with wordplay. Mm-hmm. So I tried to be dominating in a way. So I told her that she's a trash, so she has to be naked. So she kept her. Mm-hmm. She kept her panty. I said, no, so you have to be naked. She said, but I'm, I'm not shaved down there. It's dirty. You're trash or you're dirty. It's normal. <laughs> Garbage yeah. doesn't yeah. shave. <laughs> so I, I actually tied her naked to a, to a pillar at first and make her wait and just, you know, leaving her alone for some time while I dress up. Then I got her to the bed and I tied her in a kind of fetal position. Mm-hmm. So that I can just hold her with one hand, hold the plastic bag with another, and put her in the bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the bag was doing a lot of noise uh, because it's like plastic bag, you know. So 
Then yeah. crinkly yeah. and stuff. And something I use a lot is I use uh, magic wands, like a vibrator, uh, and I apply them on the rope. And yeah, okay, to vibrate yeah, the rope. Yeah, to vibrate the rope so that each reverb in the whole body. So in that, that time, I did the same, but through the bag. So okay, that must yeah. have been an interesting thing. It to adds some noise and some, mm. you, yeah. So I played with that, and uh, that's basically what happened. And she was very, very excited, and then we had sex after, and it was a nice uh, evening. Yeah, that's really cool and original. Thank you so much for sharing, Mark. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so that was super interesting and original and very creative. Basically trying to realize a fantasy and using the rope as part of the scene, but really to serve that fantasy of becoming garbage or a trash, as Mark says it. Yeah, and it was a sort of co-creation because she came with the uh, fantasy and then he worked out a way to let it live. Yeah, that's a great point, Maya. People sometimes think that the top is the only person bringing the concept and the creation to the scene, but it couldn't be more false. Like the bottom has a huge part to play potentially in bringing her ideas or fantasies or inspiration. And I thought the other thing that was quite interesting was his point about pain as pleasure. So it can be difficult as a top to cause uh, pain or or have someone that you're causing uh, challenges to. But actually, when the bottom, as is true with many of us, uh, enjoys that, then it can help the top feel okay about it. It's true that sadist guilt is a thing. And I think it takes some time to become okay with that part of yourself when you're at top with some sadism. And definitely when you have a partner who is masochistic and very expressive about the amount of pleasure they get out of the pain, it makes it a lot easier to work through that guilt. Uh, also, I noted interesting use of accessories with rope, both the bag in itself, and obviously, dear listeners, if you're being inspired by this scene, remember that plastic bags are actually quite dangerous <laughs> because people can breathe through plastic. So if you're going any kind of uh, play in that general area make sure you know what you're doing that your partner can breathe you don't asphyxiate them maybe poke some big holes in the bag or whatever <laughs> seems to be the right way to go about it uh, and also the use of vibration and the fact that obviously people know about using vibrators on people's genitals or erogenous zones but you can also use vibrators directly on the robes and then the rope vibrating can give some interesting and different sensations absolutely all right, dear listeners, so that was Mark. And if you would like to hear more from him, you can go to our episode 86 of the Rope Podcast, where he was talking about his Rope Kama Sutra book, which is a very nice book. It's definitely worth looking at if you're still looking uh, to buy some late Christmas presents. Uh, next up, we have... Sube. Sube spoke to us in episode 88 about empathy for your rope partner. And let's see what her favorite rope scene was. My favorite rope scene is actually during a performance in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very emotional scene for me. Um, I was tying someone who has a very difficult past. And I remember that the, the night 
before the show, I was thinking, oh, what to do with the music? Because normally in, in Hong Kong, when I do a show, I don't use music at all. I think it's really distracting. But when it's in the West, I think it will set the mood better if I use some kind of music. So mm -hmm. the, the, the previous night, I was stressing, oh my God, what music to use? Um, at last, I picked a song that is quite dark. Um, and I use it in the show. I only use one song in the show. And I remember that when I started just touching my rock bottom and the song was playing, we both started crying. Oh. Um, it's because at that moment, I think we both felt like finally there's someone in our world that can understand us. Um, accepting the darkest things or desires we have and not judging. Mm. And at that time, I felt like there's just only two of us, although it's a performance. Um, I, it, I don't usually get that emotional during a show because I need to keep, you know, part of my, my brain quite rational to, to do it very safe because things like many things are going on at the same time. But that show, I really let go entirely. And that was also the show that was a turning point in my Shibari journey. Um, I remember that at that time, I was actually thinking about not doing rope anymore because I felt like I am not doing any good like, I don't feel very positive about, you know, being able to contribute um, to my rock bottom. But at that time, having met her really changed me. And doing the show, it was the most emotional one and, like, the most impressive one out of all. So here, Maya, we have quite a different story from Mark's story of sexual objectification. We have a story that's all about the emotions. And the connection between the two people and the impact of that connection on not just the bottom, but the top. Yeah, and the deeper meaning at a time where Sube was having some doubts about her choice to dedicate a big part of her life to rope and what value she was bringing to the world through that. And it really shows how rope can be and bring those transformative moments. Mm, really interesting. Uh, quite unusual that such a catharsis with the crying and all the strong emotions would be happening at a performance. We've seen a lot of strong emotions come out during private play, but it must have been even stronger by the fact there was an audience watching. Mm, yeah, you never know what's going on between uh, two people who are tying. Definitely. Uh, and, well, I'm quite glad that after that experience, Sube decided to keep tying people. Indeed. This is definitely a great addition to our rope communities. So Ebi McNaughty um, is someone who has been self-tying, uh, rope modeling and tying others for a very long time. And she did an episode with us on episode 90 around creating rope bondage communities and rope curriculums. So this is her favorite scene. Or scenes, because I think she struggled a bit to <laughs> cut it down to just one. Let's yeah. see what she has to say. It is so hard. Lots of the favorite moments are like, the first, the first time I got tired or the first time we had this like 
photo shoot or I think one of the, one of the very memorable one was after we took all those classes in London at the festival in 2011. Um, it, w- it would definitely be my most memorable, let's say, as a uh, as a bottom or as a person being tied, which I usually prefer. Um, before the classes in London, we were very technical, like we were following patterns and trying to replicate ties from pictures we would see on the internet or in books. And those class with like Wicked Dave and Noko and Kazami really opened our eyes to like the process and how we were tying. And I, I couldn't say like exactly what the tie was, but I remember that we went on the points that was on the stage and it was just us. Everything we were doing was we were not following a pattern anymore. We had let go of the pattern. Um, and that was a really important, like in terms of like connection and intimacy. And that was really a big step in our journey of, uh, of us tying together, um, my husband and I. So that would probably be like the, the first more memorable. Um, Another very memorable one was uh, a performance I did with uh, with Bendy Dude, which later became is still a partner uh, of mine. Many years later, it was my first time performing with someone that was not my husband. Mm. <laughs> um, and the, the MBE had this like concept where they would like match you, like match a top with a bottom. And I'm really grateful that they matched me with this amazing person. And I think it was a lot of like what he likes is also what I like. So everything I was doing to him, he was enjoying so much. And the way that uh, that Benny Dude was expressing everything was expressing with his body. Like I could feel the energy. It was really when. When I tie in new people, some they're either like some absorb all your energy, but he was giving back so much in like expressing his happiness. And I remember at some point, like he's he's a trained contortionist, so like wow. And he's he's not like he's not naturally flexible. He loves being contorted, and he had sexual arousal from being contorted. So, so every time I, I was push him like a bit further, like where his body could go. I could feel there is arousal building up. So I think like this, maybe that's the thing, like what movement does the body make that turns you on? I will take you some, like some people likes to be put in the ball and, and curl like that. He likes to be like stretch and expose. So that's like what we work with him. And I mean, that's the moment we had like our first kiss. It was like, it was perfect. Oh, I still have really good memory of that. Um, a lot of my partner, like the first time I tied with them, if it really works, is uh, is very memorable. I like I I'll go with the third one. There's there's just so many. Um, it's a it's a more recent one. So I met this person at a party who. Uh, ends up telling me that they're kinky, but they have like 
they're not in the community. They have never been tied before. They have an interest, but they've never been tied. They have no clue. Like they don't know that I'm like well known in my community. I'm in another country. I'm far away from home and we're, we're both sober. So it's fine. And we end up like spending the old night together and comes to my hotel room. The rope is there. And at some point he asked me like, Oh, do you want to tie me? And I'm like, I don't do that anymore. Tying people on the first time I met them because I was so traumatized at that point from organizing and having people asking me for non-genuine reason. And he looked into my eyes and he said, I'm feeling really attracted to you. I know you like to tie people up and I would like to please you. I'm always the one in control and I, I want to know what it feels like to give up control. And that way of asking was so genuine and so real that I said like, okay, just one rope, no more than one rope. And I gave him basic safety tips. Like here, what you should know, here are the kind of risks that we have with the kind of rope that we're going to do. And it's clearly interest in having lots of like intimacy and vulnerability. And the whole scene was this, we find each other. For example, like I would bring his hands toward my leg, not forcing him need to, forcing him to touch me, just close enough that he can decide if he wants to touch me or not. And then gradually like, moving upwards so he could decide wherever and where he could be comfortable. And the whole thing was just like playing with distance, with just this, this single rope of like moving his hands in different position or moving his body in different position in this like hotel room floor. And it was kind of like going back to the basic, even after over 10 years of time, just this like single rope, playing with distance, communicating without words, listening to the breathing, feeling his breathing. And I remember he said like one thing that he really liked was the color of my eyes. So I spent like the first half denying him, <laughs> looking into my eyes and like finishing by giving him what he was craving. And it was such like an intense like look into each other's eye for like 10 minutes um yeah i think that's uh that was also a very memorable time it was so simple but so great at the same time hey guys this is fox coming in for a short break listeners like you make this podcast possible we want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time and to do that we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos, and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too.
Wow, Maya, no less than three different stories from Abby, and yet I am not surprised knowing her a little bit. Yeah, and to be fair, she has 10 years experience, so she has a lot to choose from. Definitely. So starting with the first one, this idea of having a new chapter of your rope journey being unlocked by taking classes, definitely something we have experienced also. And what a nice moment when you get inspired by other people's rope, when you get awakened to a new angle to rope and you bring that into your own play. Yeah, definitely another transformative moment. And it sounds like they moved from uh, pattern to person. What do you mean by that? So they were looking at patterns before and mm -hmm. then she started or they started connecting with the person and the pattern becoming less of a focus. Oh, that's very interesting. It's true that when people start with rope, they have a tendency. And I think that comes from the way many people teach rope to focus on learning how to tie a certain tie. So, okay, I'm going to learn a TK, I'm going to learn a Futomomo. And maybe it would be interesting to focus on learning from the start more on the connection. But definitely in this story, it was beautiful to hear how they got it, how it clicked for them after taking those classes. And then in the second story, you have the contortionist and you have that interaction between the person tying and the person being tied that she describes so beautifully. Yeah, and interesting that they were matched with each other. She doesn't quite tell us if they were matched by chance, in which case very lucky, or if uh, someone had arranged it thinking they would be compatible together. But definitely this idea of finding a compatibility in the middle of the rope that you didn't know was there. Mm. And that is quite the beautiful discovery. And then the last story is really gorgeous as a description. I think she does a great job. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting story about the contrast between someone who's maybe a bit jaded and feeling a bit over it in mm. terms of 10 years rope experience, uh, meeting a fresh face, a newbie, uh, being very cautious. She's being very careful. Um, and then she really talks us through, okay, what made the difference for this person to be genuine and why did she agree to tie him? Yeah, and the fact that going back to the basics does not get in the way of the connection, quite the contrary, and there's no need for them to include any advanced rope techniques to get a really magical experience. So that was Abby McNaughty, and I invite you to uh, go back and listen to her interview if you haven't done so already. And next up, let's hear the story from Violet Rain, who was our interviewee in episode 92. Um, probably a turning point in my rope uh, experience um, because, you know, initially as a rope bottom, I would say I approached it with kind of a physical endurance, athleticism, empowerment, where um, I was pushing through a limit and then I felt really good about myself afterwards, which is completely valid and a great feeling. Um, But at some point, I decided that I was going to embrace or allow, actually more like allow the quote-unquote negative feelings, not that it's wrong, but just feelings of like sadness or shame um, to emerge. Because I did have those, but I didn't know what to do with it while in rope. And I would sort of just ignore it. And then I allowed it to... Um, just emerge by itself without judging, without pushing it away and just let it flow. And um, 
that was probably a turning point in my work experience. Um, and since then, I've, I'm still processing uh, some of that, um, but I'm much more peaceful with allowing it to happen. So that was Violet Rain, uh, who we were lucky enough to meet in person when she visited uh, Thailand. So she talks about um, another transformative moment, I think, where she moved her rope bottoming practice from a more active bottoming endurance uh, rope to embracing and accepting shame or more what might be considered uh, negative feelings. Mm. And she started more in the realm of the physical, as she said, pushing her endurance, her pain tolerance, and then she realized after some time that she could, as she said, allow other feelings to come in. And I like that she talks about not judging the feelings as they come up. And that's something that we read about in mindfulness practice, for instance, which is something I'm a big fan of. We do. So if you're interested in hearing more from Violet Rain, you can listen to episode 92. So who's next? Next up, we have Rigor Odes, who was our episode 93, and he talked to us about erotic seminawa. Let's see what his favorite scene was. One memorable session comes to mind uh, was with Violet Train. I think you, you, you interviewed Violet Train as well. Yeah, we, we met her in Bangkok a few weeks ago. Yes, uh, it was actually uh, quite recently where she was going through some personal changes and I've been going through the personal changes and um, she came up, uh, she came to the studio uh, that day and she said that she almost wanted to die. You know, oh. she had this, a lot of sadness inside of her that she wanted to let go of. Hmm. And uh, that was uh, something that, uh, you know, I was maybe not even initially prepared for because I realized that I would have to go very deep with her and then bring her back out of it. Hmm. And it, it's 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 a it's quite a lot of responsibility uh, for me uh, as a nurturing person, as we just talked about, is how to take care of of of, of a person in this moment. And then when we start tying, uh, it was it was an incredibly profound experience. The tears were, were like falling down, and and I could feel just you know be so close, and you know just being with Rain at the moment, just almost feeling her sadness her emotions pouring out and it kind of triggered me in a way where the sadness that i harbor could also come out and it, it was this uh, incredibly uh, intense bondage that we, that we went through um, and um, after that she was in my arms just sobbing for you know five minutes maybe straight uh, it was a very very deep experience and this is one of the reasons why I am, my heart is in this style. Hmm. Uh, this is type of sessions that I remember for a long time because they make a difference in someone's life, uh, where the ropes don't really make any, any, any particular significance. It's hmm. about this being together and, and, and for me providing this space. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, with the seminar experience, it's, it's misunderstood a little bit how this experience formed. You, you need to embrace, as a person in ropes, you have to embrace the moment. And this is why it is not a dynamic style where you have, where you go through, through many transitions. You're given maybe one position or even one shape where you, where, where you kind of, you know, you, you stay in it, you, you sink in it and you feel it very, very deeply, kind of like opening it up 
understanding what you're being given in the moment. And uh, it also fits very well with this Japanese idea of the fleeting moments, mm. you know, that, you know, that nothing really lasts, that the beauty will fade and you have to be and you have to embrace the moment. You have to be with yourself. And, 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 and the seminar, because in a way the, 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 the bondage works such that you're given very little space where you're compressed by ropes to almost like a little ball, if you will, you know. Mm. You're like living in a little, little world where nothing matters anymore. And you can be with yourself and you can really, you know, uh, ask for redemption and, 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 and kind of pour all, all this out. And that's what's so powerful. And wow. I remember that scene was exactly like that for me. With, that with sounds Ray. really nice and intense. Thank you so much, Odis, for sharing it with us. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> so, Maya, quite the reversal near the end of the episode because Odis, our last guest for this episode, actually mentions Violet Rain, which was the previous story. Yeah, which was a complete coincidence, listeners. So, uh, not on purpose at all, Rain and Odis ended up next to each other in the schedule. And here from the start, we are dealing with some pretty intense stuff. And he says, she almost wanted to die. And I want to take a moment to address that and say that suicidal ideation as part of the feeling someone can feel is not the same as actually wanting to die, luckily, as it's part of the spectrum of, uh, of normal human feelings. I would recommend the listeners have a look at uh, Carla McLaren's books about emotions because i feel she does a really good job of addressing this particular issue yeah and she looks at emotions not as being valence so negative or positive but all feelings being something that tell us things mm -hmm. uh, and those messages being things that we can explore so yeah i think that's a good one to explore mm -hmm. and i believe in the case of suicidal ideation so feeling like you want to die even though you don't actually want to die she tells us it comes from a need for change and transformation. And here we are once again in a story of transformation. Yeah, so this is about caring in moments of very deep feeling. And I love that he refers to this, again, mindfulness in terms of being present, uh, this fleeting moment, you're there, the moment is there, you're sharing it with another person. And if you're not with that moment, then it's lost forever. Hmm. A lot of very intense emotional stories today, Maya. Yeah, um, and I find it really interesting that we have a lot of transformative moments, so mm -hmm. moments of change for people. So probably that is scenes they, remi they remember over other ones because they were such big milestones in their journey. Yeah, but I would also say everyone seems to find it a tough question. Nobody wants to choose their, uh, their top scene. It, it can be a difficult choice for sure. I note, Maya, that nobody said, oh, my favorite scene ever is that time I tied the perfect TK. <laughs> or like, it's, not, it's not about the complexity of the rope or how skillful the rigor was. It's much more about the human beings in the rope and casting the rope, right? It really is. Um, so that after that great set of stories, uh, you can listen to part two of our Christmas special. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can hear some more intense scenes from Alexiel, Wooden Tiger, Shea Blondie, and Ropologist, and... Us! That's right! I hope everyone has an amazing holiday season, and if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you will have some very beautiful ropes waiting for you under the Christmas tree. So that's all from us at The Rope Podcast. Thanks for bearing with us today, dear listeners, because as you may have guessed already, we are not in the studio today. It is the holiday time for us too, and sometimes the recording conditions are um, suboptimal. 
we're, we're going primal podcasting at the moment. Primal podcasting. <laughs> uh, we will be right back with you after the new year. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And come friend us on our FetLife page, which is Rope Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, also at Rope Podcast. You can find all the ways of supporting the podcast, so if you wish to do so, on ropepodcast.com. So if you like this podcast and would like to give us a little Christmas present of your own, please consider coming over to our Patreon today. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.